Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter, our second show on diabetes. And it should be um, a good show today. I'm looking forward to hearing from our guest, who we actually, as part of our team, we all know really well. So we'll get into that in a, in a minute. I want to thank, like we always do on the front end, our, our, our staff. Uh, first of all, you know, Clarence, Clarence Jones, great colleague. Uh, we've been at this since day one, thinking this through. And um, with each show, it gets more exciting and more energetic. So it's it's nice to have you always. Um, Maddie um, Levine-Wolf, um, thanks for your background in, 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 in research and keeping us honest with all of our calendars and shows and everything. Matthew, um, I, I call him the the, the production king. Um, he really knows this stuff, um, and he always kind of dazzles us with new ideas for production when we when we meet offline here. So, thank you, um, thank you to you for your for your help, everybody for your help. It's it's beyond excellent. And then, of course, Human uh, Partnership is uh, is our sponsor for this. It's a, it's a wonderful community-oriented group that um, really believes in what we're doing, and we believe in them. And so, thank you to to them as well. Today's show uh, is focused on uh, on diabetes. Our first show yesterday, we really got into kind of the background of it all uh, from a um, a medical, perhaps even sociological um, point of view. We had. Um, Dr. Stuart Grande with us, excellent show. So for anybody who's on, who's listening to our shows, catch that show when you can. Um, and today we thought that it would be very good for us to talk to um, about and with somebody who's got diabetes, who's been diagnosed with diabetes and, and has been dealing with this. And our illustrious colleague, Aaron, Collins is um, is the person that's going to be talking to us about it and, and talking us through some of the things that, frankly, we might not be aware of, um, or we don't necessarily think of, because we kind of think of it as how is it that we help on one end, but then there's the people who have to receive it and how they how they deal with it. So, Aaron, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Um, so first of all, you know, to, to kick this off, I figured, all right, you know, let, let's have Aaron talk, you know, kind of a distinction between type one and type two, which if you've never heard about diabetes or never been involved with it, or never have had a family member or a friend or colleague that you know of that's been dealing with it, it can be confusing. So give us your, your, your kind of your definitional criteria for type one, type two. Yeah. Um, well, I'd like to clarify that I am by no means a licensed medical professional. So this is just my personal understanding of, of the differences. So I was diagnosed with type 1 in 2018. Um, and type 1 diabetes is when your pancreas no longer makes a certain cell that helps produce insulin, which is what regulates 
your blood sugar throughout your body. Type 2 diabetes um, is when the receptor on your cells that understands the insulin in your body is no longer receptive. So someone with type 1 diabetes will never make insulin ever again and will forever be dependent on insulin. There's no cure. Someone with type 2, medications can be taken um, and lifestyle changes can be made to make that that lifestyle change a little bit easier. That's kind of my understanding of, of the difference, and I hope that was kind of like the, the general public understanding type definition. And, and that's, that's, that's great. Clarence, thoughts? Yeah, first of all, let me, let me thank uh, Aaron and the rest of the crew for, the, uh, for bringing this subject up. It's one of the, the topics that, uh, one of the chronic diseases that's often mentioned in the community as important. And as we found out yesterday from Dr. Grande, uh, it's, it's, uh, there's more to it than what we think. It's more than just taking a shot. Uh, there are some, also some other environmental factors that are involved in it as well. And so we need to enter this conversation. That's one of the reasons why we do health chatter, right? We do health chatter so that we can, we can look at this from a, uh, from a variety of different perspectives to talk about this topic. So I know that uh, I'm excited about having Aaron and the other, the other uh, crew members talk about this because I have some opinions about it too uh, from a community perspective. And I think that that's, that's what we want to do with Health Chatter. So that's my thought and uh, let's get into it. So there's, there's kind of the, the medical personal perspective and then there's kind of the public health community-oriented perspective, which we hope we can we can touch on um, throughout this show. So it, it was interesting. So last night I, I was thinking about this show and, I, and what really came to mind for me is how is it, Aaron, that you define healthy, being healthy? Like, how was it that you defined being healthy before you were diagnosed, you know, a couple of years back? And how is it that you define it now? I think the obvious part to the answer is before I was diagnosed, I was not thinking about my blood sugar. Nobody does. If you're not diabetic, that's not something that you're thinking about on a day-to-day -day basis. So I considered myself to be healthy generally because I was active, I was eating well, and I didn't have any chronic diseases. I was just a happy, healthy person. And then after being diagnosed, um, I think defining healthy is not only the mental, physical part of it, but then I have my chronic disease to handle. So when I'm in check with my chronic disease and I'm keeping up with it, that's the extra part that I tackle on to being healthy now. Aaron, can I ask a question? I, you know, yeah. What age did you discover that you had type um, one diabetes? I mean, because I, you know, you said that you know people are born like this, and again, I'm, I'm not asking you to be a doctor, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you know, at what ages do you do people discover that they have uh, type one diabetes since they need it from the very beginning? Well, I was diagnosed at 19, wow. so um, I was pretty late in the game. But when I was diagnosed, I immediately thought it was type two. So at that moment, I actually was hysterically crying, thinking I had type two at 19 years old. I'm so unhealthy. How could I let this happen to myself? Blah, blah, blah. 
But the doctor told me that you can be diagnosed with type 1 diabetes up until you're 40 years old. Wow. And it's becoming more and more common that people with type 1 diabetes are getting diagnosed mm -hmm. in the late teens. Wow. That's quite, it's quite, 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 quite interesting. It's more common as like a young child. Like you can be as young as like a couple months old when you're diagnosed with type 1. But it's becoming more and more common that people my age are finding out. So is that is that something that... that uh, I'm, I'm speaking from a community perspective right now. Is that something that we as, a, as as community members should, well, everybody should be concerned about it, but should that be something that we should be looking at uh, when we go to the doctor, uh, that they should be talking to us about, about diabetes? Uh, simple answer, yes. I think every okay. time you go to the doctor, there should be some sort of discussion about, are you exercising on a regular basis? Are you eating the right types of foods? Are you keeping in check with, how you're feeling? Are you tired all the time? Types of things like that. Um, the longer answer would be that you don't need to be a hypochondriac and you know getting a full blood panel every time you go to your primary care. Okay. Has this experience turned me into a little bit of a hypochondriac? Yes. <laughs> I spent months trying to tell my mom that I had diabetes. And nobody believed me. <laughs> um, and then the day before Thanksgiving, someone finally, my mom finally gave in and went to Walgreens and bought a blood glucose meter. And my sure. blood sugar was in the 600s. So let me ask one other. The sirens yeah. went off. <laughs> right. Let me ask one other question. You said when you went to the doctor, you found out that you had diabetes. You cried because you thought you had type 2 diabetes. What's the, why, what was the difference between type 2 and type 1 for you? Well, before you have diabetes, let's just be real and frank right now. The social idea of diabetes is that if you have diabetes, you are unhealthy. You are overweight, uh -huh. you don't eat well, and you're not taking care of yourself. And that was my personal opinion about diabetes before getting diagnosed. And okay. a lot of the times when I tell people I have diabetes, that is the first thing that comes to mind. Well, can't you just eat better and exercise and it'll go away? No. <laughs> and now that I have diabetes and I've been living with it for the last couple of years, I've spent the last three and a half years educating, learning, absorbing all of these uh, new, new ideas and, and new information about diabetes and trying to myth bust a little bit. And now I get this opportunity to come on a podcast and, and talk about it and educate. So we can definitely tackle that a little bit more if you want to. <laughs> I am glad. I'm glad that you're doing this. So let me ask you something. Um, did you find out that you had diabetes after you went to to uh, have a physical? And did you have symptoms? Was there something that was going on that just didn't seem right? Yeah, it was like the the combination of a couple things. That a couple of the things didn't raise red flags until we put them all together. I can kind of, do you mind if I tell a little story? Yeah, go for it. Um, in August of my sophomore year of college, I was having extreme thirst to the point that it was extremely painful. I was going through like a flat of water, you know, like the 48 packs at Costco. I was going through two of those a week, just Whoa. pounding them. I'd get up in the middle of the night. And it would be physically painful how thirsty I was. And I really would drink like two or three water bottles and go back to bed. And during the day, I was filling up my water bottle 
multiple times a day. I couldn't sit through a 50 minute class without having to get up and go get more water. It was really alarming. So the first thing you look up on the internet, when you look extreme thirst, diabetes, first thing that comes up, I'm like, I'm 19 years old. There's no way I have diabetes. That is far-fetched. A little bit time goes by. I'm just not really thinking about how much I'm going to the bathroom either because I'm drinking so much water. Just not a thought. Whatever. Um, I'm working out a little bit more and I am shaving off pounds. I just assumed I'm working out in the gym. I'm working hard. No problem. Probably lost about 15 pounds in a month or so. Wow. And then... Um, October rolls around and I'm sitting in the third row of my lecture hall and I can't see the board. Both of my parents are blind, but not actually blind, but you know, thick glasses. Okay. So I just assumed here's my time. Go to the doctor, the eye doctor. I think I'm like negative four in both eyes. And I just kind of figured now is my time. It's, it's not the diabetes. That was an August thing, whatever. Um, then around Thanksgiving, when I came home, I woke up the day before Thanksgiving feeling so sick, so tired. It was effortful to talk. And I just kept telling my mom, like, I think I have diabetes. Like, what else could it be? This is exhausting. So she finally went to Walgreens and got a blood glucose meter, took my blood sugar. I was in the 600s, which a normal person is supposed to be between 70 and 120. So I was six times the normal blood sugar. And so we called a nurse hotline because we were like, what does this mean? Why am I so much higher than I'm supposed to be? And she was like, you know, you need to go to the emergency room now. So I drove myself to the emergency room. And then when I got there, she was like, what's wrong? I was like, my blood sugar is 686. And she was like, what? You're, and you're talking to me? Like, you're standing here looking at me and having a conversation with me? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't know what, what you mean. And uh, I peed in a cup and I was immediately in uh, a bed in, in the back and probably in the ICU, probably like an hour or two later on a insulin drip and dextrose drip. And I was there for three days. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll, I'll tell you a sidebar story. Um, about four years ago, we had a, um, actually it was four years, five years ago, we had a New Year's Eve party here. And one of my son's friends was here and we were sitting there chatting in the in the in the kitchen and i just overheard him talking to his friend saying god i am thirsty i don't know what the hell it is i am really really thirsty and you know that was you know the red flag for me so i tapped isaac on on the uh on the shoulder and i said isaac you need to get in to get checked like tomorrow asap and sure enough same same symptom that um that you had the extreme thirst um was a, a telltale sign but that's an important thing for our audience to know it's like you know how do i know i have it well some of these symptoms you know crop up by the way there um you know some people get very tired which, by the way, is a um, is also uh, a possible symptom for um, thyroid problems, you know, for hypothyroidism. 
Um, but we don't scare any hypochondriacs in the audience. With no, 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 no. no. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's so, got something. You know, yes. something, something. Yeah. Go ahead, Claire. Yeah. So one of the things I, I really appreciate you sharing your story. I think that it's so important for us to hear the true narrative, the real narrative. Uh, I mean, we hear the the kind of like the the outer stories about diabetes, but for people, someone like you to to be willing to share the uh, how you really really felt is very very important for I think for our, our members. So, why do you think it's such a a hard sell around diabetes as 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 prevalent as this issue is? I mean, why do you think it is, uh, or what can we do? to really make people more aware of the dangers of not recognizing the signs of diabetes? I think the best answer to that is education. No, <clears throat> you know, before being diagnosed, I knew absolutely nothing about diabetes. And even then leaving the hospital, I felt like I still knew absolutely nothing about diabetes. They sent me home with a little goodie bag of insulin and syringes and were like, have fun. Good luck. Here's a phone number to an endocrinologist. And I felt like I knew absolutely nothing. So even as a, a diabetic recently diagnosed, I knew nothing. That means the general public probably knows even less than nothing. So getting it out there and 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 letting people know what to look for. Um, and even like if you see somebody on the street, they may not be an overdose drug addict. They could be a sick diabetic too. So, which I don't think a lot of people know either. Um, yeah. So one, I'm going to tell my story too, I think, because Stan told his story, Aaron, you told your story. I'm sure Matthew and Maddie are going to have a story too. But uh, my story uh, about diabetes was that I went to a uh, clinic to get a uh, an exam. And uh, I heard the nurses say, well, you're pre-diabetic. And that was it. I walked out of there like, I don't know what, what's going on. And I think that, that you know, when we start talking about these kinds of stories, it makes me uh, wonder, what do we need to be telling our medical practitioners about how do we talk to people about this this serious issue? This is a, a life and death issue for many people. And, and as you just said, you know, people are, are are exhibiting signs and we think that they're one thing, but it could be something totally different. How do we, how do we help practitioners? What do you think practitioners need to do or know? Besides education, I mean, I think they get education. What, what other kind of things should we be doing with them? With practitioners specifically? With yeah. That's such a hard question. Yeah. Um, I, I think it brings up a lot of issues within our medical system too, where, you know, a lot of these physicians are paid fee for service. And if they're spending an hour in a visit consulting with you about your pre-diabetes, they're seeing less patients, which also brings up an, another, a whole nother can of worms that we could open another time. Um, I think right now physicians are working towards uh, referral to diabetes education management support system type of thing. So um, I'm actually working on a project right now. Um, diabetes management education support is a huge mm -hmm. thing right now. The development of apps, which we br briefly touched on another time. Um, 
yeah, maybe it needs to be some sort of uh, uh, training when they're in medical school or residency. I don't know, but it's definitely something that is missing yeah. and is, is going to continue to harm people like me and you who have diabetes or have pre-diabetes and still have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, this is, this is an interesting thought. So, um, God, it was close to 20 years ago when I first heard the idea of pre-diabetes. And I'm thinking, what the hell? Does that mean that every disease has a pre to it? Pre-cancerous, pre-this, pre-cold, pre-flu, pre-everything. You know, you could be pre to anything just about, okay? But what about, you know, um, diabetes? And so um, I believe, you know, just from my perspective, that at least out of the front end, that added to a lot of the confusion and also got people kind of blitzed out a little bit. Matthew, you got something to say here. I do. I do. So, you know, this is kind of my own story related to all of these things. My father was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes recently. Um, when I say recently, but that was back in 2020. Um, and I think being in public health, what I immediately became frustrated with, and maybe this was just me looking for a place to place blame, but, you know, my father went to the same doctor 20 something years. My father has fluctuated in weight and health in all of these different categories. So if he had had the same primary care physician, why why was nothing done? Why was there no intervention done? Why were why was there no successful events? You know, my dad went to the doctor once a year, right? And he's healthy, and then he's pre-diabetic, and then over the course of twenty years, all of a sudden he's type two diabetic. And I know some of that, right? There's, I think. As a patient, my father played a role in that, right? But I do think as a healthcare professional, his physician had an obligation or responsibility to watch his health status over all of these years, not just what once a year is looking like. And so I think that kind of speaks more to the system than anything. 100%. And just kind of some of the flaws that I, you know, firsthand watched. And, you know, frankly, when we start talking about type two, and I know type one as well, you know, these things are life-threatening, like, uh, not to go too much into this, but, you know, my father got COVID and died because of diabetes. I mean, that that was his underlying condition. And when, so, and I didn't even realize that that was such a, the, the, the case there would be such an issue. And then I started looking up and like, COVID deaths in people who are diabetic were drastically higher and it, i mean and so it's like when you start talking about all of these other risk factors for something that could be preventable there needs to be an incentive structure for physicians or the system or even better resources for patients to ensure that over the course of a lifetime or over the course of these time you know we're catching things early but that's just kind of my yeah um, you know it it really gets down to a um a partnership it really does between the uh, the patient and the, um, the the care provider. Um, not apologizing for the care provider in in the in this case, you know. For myself, you know, one thing to keep in mind is as you as you age, you know, your your blood uh, glucose has a tendency to go a little higher. Okay, that's not unusual. 
you know, I could, I, a perfect illustration is, is myself. I went in for a physical and my blood glucose was a little higher. So my doc, my physician said, Stan, we want, we we're going to check this in three months. We're going to do another check and, and see where, where you're at. And, um, and it turns out that the, uh, the glucose level was about the same, but the hemoglobin A1C, which is the, the true test, um, was fine. Okay. And so it was my, my doc who said to me not to worry, but going forward, we're still going to carefully monitor. Um, Stan, Aaron, I have a question. I have a go question. Ahead. Real quick, yeah. real quick. So I want to, I want to, I want to, you know me, I'm a prober. I want to, I want to probe you about this word that you use, partnership with, between your doctor yeah, and patient. Yeah. Okay. Matthew. A trusted partnership. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew and you and others have had a 27 year partnership with your doctor and others, but many of the people that we work with don't, they don't. I mean, you know, you 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 can go to a, a, a clinic for ten years and never have the same doctor ever again, or you're so, forced to have a new one because of it, changes in health insurance and all that stuff. Exactly, exactly. So, to me, my 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 question is, how then do we, knowing that these are the kinds of things that we are confronted with, we have some people that have great great partnerships. We have some people that have very dotted partnerships. We some have some people that have no partnerships. What is it that we need to be doing in terms of talking about this issue around diabetes? Because we all have acknowledged the fact that it's it's a very, very dangerous disease that we're dealing with and that people are affected by it. And, and Matthew, thank you for sharing that, being willing to share this story about your, your dad and, and COVID. You know, I mean, I think that uh, people need to hear this stuff. And I mean, that's why we don't we're not trying to run away from anything. We're just trying to figure out how the heck do we talk to each other about this and how and what can we do? Well, you know, I'll tell you, I I don't think there's a um, a perfect answer to that question, Clarence. Um, but I think what what underlines what underscores it all is trust. Um, and maintenance with a, a, a physician or a group of healthcare providers that you um, that you're comfortable with. Okay, I I have said over and over again when um, when people, for instance, have to change um, health plans, I said that I I tell friends, colleagues, families, that the number one thing that they should do is look at, the, at how you can maintain the relationship with your your physician if you have a good relationship with him or her, okay? I think that that's, that's vital. And, and trust is defined a little bit differently for all of us, but I think that's the, uh, the, the common denominator for, for your, your point that you're bringing up. Aaron, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing that um, because of you having diabetes, trust is defined a little bit differently for you and um, and your healthcare providers. So um, it has to be brought to perhaps a different level. So maybe you can you respond to that a little bit. When I was diagnosed, um, I had, it was, well, technically I was diagnosed on Thanksgiving. And this 
uh, amazing doctor came in on Thanksgiving and diagnosed me with diabetes and explained to me how insulin works. And um, he actually ended up being my endocrinologist and he gave me his personal cell phone number and checked in with me every day for two weeks to make sure that I was doing what I was supposed to be doing and was attempting to understand how things were going. And I built a very, very, very strong trusted relationship with this doctor. I'm glad. Hired six months later. <laughs> so that was really hard having to go and find a new physician so close after. But if I did not have that super close relationship with that first doctor who diagnosed me, I don't think I would have the confidence that I currently have. Without him and his openness and availability for me, I mean, he basically was at my disposal 24-7. Yeah, and that that's... first time that my insulin pump failed and I was going into DKA, I called him at 3.30 in the morning and he picked up on the first ring. Yeah. I mean, amazing relationship. And he defined probably the rest of how I'm going to behave as a diabetic. Truly life-changing relationship. I, I think that that's the key. I think you, you brought a story to life on the idea of, of, of trust. You know, one thing I do want to, I, I do want to focus a little bit on our, um, what we've called within this group gadgets. Okay. Let me, let me put it this way. You know, 20 years ago, there was no such thing as an app. Okay. Now there are apps and there are, um, our methods to, to measure, um, blood glucose that are much more sophisticated and, um, engage the patient differently. There's um, ways to get education electronically differently than we did, you know, you know, via pamphlet or what have you before. So Aaron, what, let, let me just put it this way. What gadgets do you use? If any, <laughs> I use two gadgets. Um, I didn't immediately start out on any of these gadgets, but since starting on these gadgets, I see them to be medically necessary and vital to my day-to-day -day survival. So the first one is called the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. It's about this thick, this big, very small, about an inch long for our listeners. And it sits at the surface of my skin with an itty bitty tiny hairpin needle that flicks in right underneath the skin. And it sits there for 10 days and continuously reads my blood sugar 24 seven. Every five minutes, it spits out my blood sugar and I'm sitting pretty high right now, but it spits it out my, my blood sugar onto my phone, my Apple watch mm -hmm. and my insulin pump. So the second gadget is the insulin pump. And my insulin pump displays the blood sugar on the screen, but the fancy, they call it closed loop technology. The pump reads my blood sugar, gets that information from the continuous glucose monitor and has an algorithm that automatically gives me either more insulin or less insulin based upon my blood sugar. So right now I'm sitting at 306. My pump is already automatically giving me three times my normal basal unit for insulin because it knows that my blood sugar is high and I need more insulin. 
But for example, if I was falling really fast or if I had a really low, low blood sugar, my pump would automatically turn the insulin off or to a lower setting without me having to do anything. The only thing that I do on this is if I want to override anything the pump is doing, um, if I'm exercising, I take it off to shower or if I'm eating. Yeah. But so let me let me ask awesome. this question. So you're tech savvy. I am. I'm okay. You know, I know you are. Uh, so you're tech savvy. What about people that aren't? That is a great question. Um, I started with no tech. So I had what, you know, like um, the original blood glucose meter, you prick your finger, put it on the stick and it reads your blood sugar. And then the option is to either do syringes with vials or pens. So the insulin comes in a pen, you put a needle cap on it, you twist the pen, and then the pen automatically injects insulin. So you would have a long acting insulin pen for insulin that acts over a long period of time, I think they go from like 18 to 42 hours. You can kind of pick depending on what type of diabetic you are, which is a whole nother <laughs> conversation. Um, but then you have short acting insulin for like when you want to eat and you do that right before you eat. So that would be another option for somebody who's not tech savvy. And it somebody who did it for a couple months, I probably did it for two, two and a half months. It works just as well as the tech part, but as an active 23, almost 24 year old who's moving every day and is working all the time, I don't really have time to sit there and take, you know, probably an hour out of my day every day to take my blood sugar, calculate my carb to insulin ratio, multiply that by how many carbs I'm eating. No, the pump does it all. Yeah. 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 So Stan, I have a question. I, I yeah. think that I, I really appreciate it. Uh, again, Aaron, what you're saying. Uh, uh, one of the things that that in terms of this conversation around type one, type two diabetes really has been the cost of insulin. I think that, I think insulin, uh, being able to control it, we're talking about how do we control it? We're talking about using the, the gadgets and things like that. But for many people, there's been a real shift in terms of being able to manage this disease because of the cost of it and access to it. I mean, that was, you know, and, uh, so what are some of your thoughts about, about that? I mean, I think it, it, it has really gone up a lot, it, you know, here in the States, at least. Uh, in other places, it might be, it might be uh, something different. But uh, uh, here in the States, uh, getting access to this insulin in order to be able to address this issue. So I don't know what question I'm asking you. I'm just asking something. Cost. Cost. Yeah. What do you think, Aaron? Well, you we know. can talk about costs. <laughs> um, before I was diabetic, we had a lot more money. <laughs> um, and not, not to sound dramatic or like that we're in debt or anything, but it is so Cost. expensive. And yeah. as someone who is approaching 26 years old, I am absolutely terrified to go off of my mom's teacher insurance which is great insurance. And we still pay thousands out of pocket every year, even though I've already met my deductible. Um, before insulin cap laws, I was paying 1400 to 1800 out of pocket to buy insulin. And then I would have, I would have met my personal deductible at 2000 shortly after that. So would I pay that 1400 more than once a year? No. But having fourteen hundred dollars 
at hand immediately to buy the drug that keeps me alive. Tough stuff to try and swallow. You know, this, this is where I, I believe as, you know, uh, somebody in the health arena is the real angst. I really, really believe this. It's like, think about it. You know, Aaron's been telling us a story of how complicated it is just to understand everything, okay, and 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 embrace everything and the lifestyle changes. Then on top of that, you got to haggle around and figure out how in the hell to get the necessary medication at a reasonable, I'll, I'll put the word reasonable in quotes, a reasonable cost. What I think is an absolute crime, and there, there's got to be something that that we do, as in my estimation, as a nation, to control this these types of problems. Not only for people that are dependent on insulin, but for other people that are dependent on other kinds of of drugs that are just out of whack as far as costs are concerned. Let me ask you this, Aaron. You know, I can only envision, you know, finding out about um, being diabetic, you know, um, and and going to a, a, um, a Thanksgiving dinner. OK, I mean, it's just like you probably are, you know, said to yourself, damn, I can't even have fun at a Thanksgiving <laughs> table. And frankly, I don't even know what I could be thankful for because, you know, now I'm dealing with this, you know, godforsaken um, illness. And yet everybody's sitting around the table, your family's sitting around the table. Let me ask you something. How is it that your family reacted to this? And how is it that they support you? Well, funny story, bad things just happened to me on Thanksgiving when I was in fifth grade. I also split my head open and spent the day in the emergency room, you know, 15 years before that. So I'm just cursed for Thanksgiving injuries. Um, so it was kind of funny. They weren't really surprised I was spending the day in the emergency room on Thanksgiving. Um, but they actually did bring me a small little Thanksgiving plate that day, which was really nice. And I was just devastated that I wasn't able to be there for everyone because I have family from Florida and St. Louis and they all were in Chicago that week. So I, I didn't get to see everybody, but I, I got a little snippet of it. Um, my parents are the most supportive there for me. What do you need me to do? How can I help type of people ever? And I can't thank them enough. Um, Going back to gadgets a little bit, my Dexcom actually connects to their phone as well, too. Mm. So um, my mom, you know, like in the middle of the night, I'm a heavy sleeper. She'll just sit there and ping my phone until I wake up because, you know, I'm at 50 and falling and I'm not waking up. So um, they are all very in tune with what's going on. They are also diabetes experts and I truly without my sisters and my parents could not do it without them so I'm so glad that I have such a great family and, and people around me to help keep me up you know yeah you know and that it I'm really really happy for you that you have that that type of of, of support I think what we can do and just the the, the health chatter gang here 
um, you can you can depend on us f- and put us all on your speed dial. Mm-hmm. Okay, really, you should know that. Okay. Um, that you know, if you run into a problem and you need some help, we're here. We're here for you, yeah. which I think begs the question, Clarence. You know, from a community, think of us as kind of your community that can that can help you. But um, Clarence, yeah. you you bring up a great question. Go ahead. No, well, actually, Matthew, thank you for this because I think you know th- that's why we are uh, health chatters. That uh, the question is, how do we create this level of support? For those who can't get it from their family, what is it? What it? What is it that, as a community, we should be looking at considering uh, to be supportive of people who have diabetes? And uh, you know, and I, I want you to think about this because there might be somebody out there who might, or some kind of organization might be doing this, but I don't know them. And so maybe if you could give me some insight into maybe who we could refer to, or make references to, or provide as a resource. What do you think? You don't have to have a definitive answer, just but just what do you think? I know there's organizations out there. Um, the CDC sponsors the Diabetes Prevention Program. Um, DSMES is also another diabetes support management education uh, programs. Um, uh, free clinics is another really great place to get support. And like we said earlier, that uh, physician patient relationship, you can find that and have that. That's also going to be your go to. Okay. Does anybody else have any other things to weigh yeah. in on? Ideas? It, that's a really hard question because not everybody has the family I do. I'm privileged to have the close knit family that I have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's where support whatever you have, even like, you know, us supporting you um, can be really helpful where you could, you can check in with us and uh, we might create a link for you with uh, community or other health professionals that, that can help. You know, here's an interesting, here's an interesting thought. And it's, it's what I call um, how your brain deals with this. So um, I think that this is true, frankly, of just about every disease. I can even speak about it as it relates to like a knee replacement. It's like, when do you stop? Like, you know, when do I, when did I stop thinking about walking? Okay. Where I would just get up and walk after having a knee replacement. It took 10 months. Okay. For my brain to kind of say, okay, I don't have to worry about that guy's knee anymore. Okay. I'm wondering the same question for you, Aaron. When was it that you became more comfortable with um, with dealing with um, having diabetes to the point where um, your everyday activities, your your activities of daily living, just I, you know, I learned to live with it, and I'm going forward. That's such a good question because my gut says I'm still not there. Okay, but. I'm at the point where I'm running up to 20 miles a week. Wow. For somebody with diabetes and someone who's insulin dependent, that's, that's a a big step in the right direction, especially because, you know, high cardio exertion makes your blood sugar fall pretty quick by a lot. So, um, 
I, my gut says I'm still not there, but I'm way better than I was three years ago. There you go. I understand how my body reacts to certain foods a little bit better, which is fun. I don't know if you guys have ever seen on TikTok, but this guy does experiments with what different fast food does to his blood sugar. I can do that with almost anything that I put into my body right now. I know exactly what's go- how my blood sugar is going to react if it's you know normal circumstances, um, which I didn't do before I had diabetes. So that's pretty Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. Um, but I, I truly believe I'm still not there. It's okay. totally a learning curve. And there's so much to learn. And if you had told me three years ago when I was diagnosed, this is all the things that you have to learn. My type A personality would have said, I'll know by the end of the week. No, it's three (laughs) years later. And I still feel like I have not a complete grasp on what diabetes is, but the key is to just doing your best all the time. And you know, like every single day you wake up, do your best. That's all. That's all anybody can ask for. If If you don't do your best, you know, it, it could be a little detrimental to the next week. You, you just have to get up, take care of yourself, do your best, and keep going. Like, that's it. That's all you can do. Right. Yeah. I also you know, probably, I also probably just imagine that, you know, you're, I mean, I obviously can't speak for you, but I, I'm, I, I imagine that also the social stigma and the social aspect of, you know, our narratives around diabetes also feed into your progress because, you know, that is another like mental and then physical aspect of having some sort of condition, especially when, you know, we know that at least in like our U.S. society that there's so much there's so much narrative, there's so much conversation, there's so much stigma associated with, um, you know, with weight and healthy eating and body image. And those directly feed into our conversation about diabetes. So I can only imagine that that reality compounds your, um, you know, your self-discussion. You know, I could say this, that um, when we brought the the three of you, Maddie, Matthew, and Aaron, onto um, our health chatter staff as our health chatter staff. To be quite honest with you, all three of you looked happy, healthy, you know, you know, <laughs> engaged, excited. You know, I, I I would never have known, in in unless you um, you had told us, Aaron, that 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 you were diabetic. But that's to your credit. That's absolutely to your credit. Um, you and are happy and healthy. And, yeah. um, and we're here to help you with that as well. And I think, Stan, when we, when we asked them to join our crew, we, we, were, we are, have been amazed at the amount of knowledge and experience and research that they bring oh to gosh. us. Uh-oh. So, yeah. And so it's going to not only help us, but also help our, our, our uh, our listeners to to live a healthier and a better life. So, uh, but so I, I appreciate you, Aaron. I appreciate you, Matthew. I appreciate you, Maddie. Uh, we are health chatter, and that's what we like to do. We like to right. chat, right? Aaron, thank you, thank you thank for you. being part of this. We might we might circle back to you and have another show. Right. I think um, we need to. I think we need to. We didn't I talk think, about a ton of stuff. Oh I gosh, absolutely, absolutely, and. Um, 
you know, we could we could have a show on where is Aaron now? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's like, okay, you know, today, you know, a year from now, six months from now, yeah. is your head in a better place? Yeah. And yeah. you can tell us why. Yeah. And and I think that would be exciting for all of us to hear and our audience as well. So thank you. Thank you. And and here's a virtual hug for you. Thank you. And stay healthy, everybody. Um, thank you all to our to our listeners. We look forward to our, our next show, which will be on um, infectious disease with um, Dr. Richard Danilla from the Minnesota Department of Health, who was very instrumental in um, in dealing with um, the COVID response for the state, but had been, has been, and was, he's now retired, but um, was involved with many of the different infectious diseases that affect us. And so it'll give us kind of the gestalt of that whole, of that whole arena. So until then, keep health chatting away. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye, everybody.